the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into our three. We're going to talk education with one of my favorite uh, public intellectuals and uh, public educators. He is Professor Mark Bauerlein, Emeritus Professor at uh, Emory University. He is a senior editor at um, First Things Magazine and the author of several books, most recently, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. And he has an op-ed uh, in today's Wall Street Journal. I love it when we can get an author on a current op-ed. Kids and the power of the spoken word. New standards in Georgia and Arkansas will require students to recite great poems or speeches, and people are against it. Professor Bauerlein, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Always glad to join you, Seth. Thanks for being with us. So I was just – as I read your op-ed that um, you had in the Wall Street Journal – I was thinking about the title of your last book, The Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. And I was thinking if the uh, education professionals professionals have their way going against this uh, Georgia and Arkansas plan, you're going to have to have a new book, uh, The Next Dumbest Generation <laughs> Grows Up. We seem to want to make them dumber and dumber and dumber. Tell us what's going on here, sir. Well, just on, on that score, Seth, uh, one thing we have to realize is the transfer of knowledge and the maintenance of good public taste is very fragile from year to year. I mean, there, there is just a tendency for vulgarity, uh, de- you know, defining deviancy downward. This is often sort of the, the, the momentum of things, and that's why it is so important for educators and intellectuals to hold the line, right. to maintain eloquence, to keep the best writers, the best artists, the best musicians before the eyes, of the young, and Seth, you—I you, don't know how old you are exactly, Seth. I'm—I'm I'm 64 uh, uh, years yeah, old. Now. Yeah, about 10 or 12 years younger. But yeah, we grew <laughs> up with the same kind of education system. I, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I and I remember uh, things like classical music was in cartoons and movies. Oh yeah, all you, the time. you could learn a lot from Warner Brothers. You really could, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, I mean, and they, they would they would turn them in whimsical ways. But a lot of uh, a lot of film scores yep. were derived from Wagner yep. and and from WC and yep. and Ravel and and others. And so kids just got them, you know, almost sort of in the air yeah. that that was around them sufficiently enough for uh, stupid pop culture stuff not to crowd everything else. Out uh, well, that we, we know what is what has happened uh, in in the last thirty years, uh, where we we simply don't get very much of the high culture uh, filtering down into young kids' lives, and that puts greater pressure on the teachers and intellectuals to, to push back to preserve something in the in in the eyes and ears of the kids that is just part of the regular formation yep. of them, and that's why the classroom is. So important, but what has happened in education circles is knowledge of literature and history and high art and music ha- has been removed from the standards, the education standards, so that 
because the multiculturalists didn't like the European tradition, because it was too white, it was too male, it was Christian, they just said, let's get rid of all the tradition altogether and just focus on skills, on critical thinking. We don't need to have them read Shakespeare. We can let them read some, you know, second-rate novels by contemporary novelists who are who have the right identity. And then, you know, unfortunately, that the business community often conspired with this by telling educators and governors, hey, look, we don't need these kids to read Shakespeare. Just make them learn to do good PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. And the old traditionalists, we, we were pinched mm-hmm. on, on both sides. The multiculturalists were more responsible for this, let's, mm-hmm. let's be clear. But uh, this, what we've done in Arkansas and Georgia is bring back, among other things, the memorization and recitation of great speeches and poems and, and parts of plays, you know, soliloquies. And it is a fantastic thing for kids to have to do. It builds their mind. It exercises the muscle mm-hmm. of memory, which yep. is like a muscle. The more you use it, the, the better it becomes. It also gets them out of their own head. Yep. You know, if, you, if you're going to recite an Emily Dickinson poem, you've got to become Emily Dickinson. You can't be, you know, the 15-year-old all caught up in, you know, the party coming up. You've got to get out of your own adolescent ego, a very healthy thing for young kids to do. They'll also learn words that are a lot better than what they're getting on text messages and, and Instagram. And then there's the public performance, right? Oral presentation. And we know how kids, I mean, everyone is scared to speak before a group. And you get over that fear by practicing, you know, by doing it over and over again. And I, I did this in my classes. And what I concluded in the op-ed was, Look, look at the faces of these kids mm-hmm. when they struggle through and they get to the end and they walk back to their seats. They know they did something real. They accomplished something. They, they carried a tough task through to the end. And you, you, you can see it in their faces and it's in their heads now. It's part of their sensibilities. What do we want them to have? The words of Abraham Lincoln, uh, Martin Luther King, Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, Shakespeare. Or do we want them to have, you know, your 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 influencer, your your teen influencer, uh, running running through their heads? So this is what we've done in Arkansas and in Georgia, and every single red state governor should be on this. It is crucially important. The educators don't like it because they say, "Oh, this is too mechanical. Oh, it it it, it subjects them to the words of others. We should let them express themselves." Well, we know we know what what a disaster that attitude has been in education. Look at reading scores, look at right. writing scores, they keep going down and and the educator solution has not worked. In a uh, in a report you probably had something to do with. I, I think you mentioned it in your book The Dumbest Generation, Reading at Risk. Um we we lost something like 17 points between 1982, and when that report came out in uh, roughly 2004, 2005, if memory serves, a, a drop in young adults, young, young, young adults, we're talking about high school students, college students, and their ability to consume fiction, poetry, and drama. I mean, we're just creating an illiterate and ever-increasingly illiterate society that doesn't, doesn't just not have the critical thinking skills that memorization helps develop, uh, Professor, it seems to me but helps also create more of this confederization of America, this more division. We, we're, we're, losing, we're losing a kind of cultural lingua franca, it seems to me. You know, Seth, I, I remember everyone had read certain books. Right. Everyone knew certain books. 
when Robert Frost delivered uh, a poetry reading at the University of Detroit in 1962, I actually wrote about this in the book, there are famous pictures of this, mm-hmm. 12,000 college students filled right. the hall, right. the, the basketball arena, right. to hear him Right. T.S. Eliot gives a talk at, at University of Minnesota. 18,000 kids show up. Poets were serious figures. We read, you know, whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, yep. though. Yep. And, and someone knew some Shakespeare, you know, you know, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. So you're right. It was kind of a common language that, that all the school kids had to work through. And again, the fragmentation, it, it's gone. We had, we did have a common culture not too many decades ago, and the multiculturalists didn't like it. Mm-hmm. They created a a multiculture, which is to say, you know, you know what that is? That's that's no culture. It's no culture, right? Right. No tradition, no history, no common knowledge. Everyone is is off. when I when I taught when I started teaching college UCLA in in, in the late nineteen eighties. I could refer to Huck Finn, and everyone had been exposed to them sure. in, in my class. Sure. Do it now, f- forget it. You know, the only book, in fact, I think maybe even this is gone. By 2010, the only books that I could rely upon all the students having been exposed to was Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And I, I, I don't even know if that counts now. And it's just a terrible thing when there is no common experience no common tradition remember the great american novel sure sure this was of part of our historical and kids wanted to be the next great american novelist i remember that growing up too in college um that's right that's right but you know hawthorne melville twain edith wharton fitzgerald hemingway there's a very there's a very good public high school uh in town the one i graduated from um not far from our studios mark and I was introduced to two high school seniors, female seniors there, and they were t- they were doing some fun thing for the summer. And I talked to them about, you know, an old line attributed to Mark Twain. I don't even know if he said it, but about not letting schoolwork get in the way of your education. And they looked at me <laughs> and I said, you know who Mark Twain is, right? No, no. Seth, they had no clue. No, you're, you're not. See, no AP this, English at this great public. I got to take a break. You can stick around for a few. Sure thing. Professor Mark Bauerlein is our guest, senior editor at First Things Magazine, author most recently of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. We'll be right back. Professor Mark Bauerlein is our guest, has a piece in the Wall Street Journal about the importance of some education reforms going on in Georgia and Arkansas that a lot of the professionals are standing athwart because, heaven forfend, we encourage our children to engage in memorization. He is an editor, senior editor at First Things magazine and author of many, many a book, including most recently The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Mark, I, you know, I've been looking at... Um, at the way children learn a lot more lately. And I've been looking a lot at um, how they grow their developmental abilities, how they grow their emotional abilities. And a lot of this has been foisted on us from uh, the counterculture, which has become the dominant culture. But it sent me back to Edie Hirsch, some of Edie Hirsch's old work uh, on cultural literacy. 
And when it right. came, I stumbled upon a sentence of his, I have mixed views on his work, but I, 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 this this fight, this push against memorization, I, I found this great line in his book. He writes, our current distaste for memorization is more pious than realistic. At an early age when their memories are most relative, children have an almost instinctive urge to learn specific tribal traditions and they do and they goes through routines of things they are naturally inclined to memorize about sports about music cartoons lines things like that i love that line though the distaste really is more pious than realistic there is a piety against memorizing and memorization isn't there now in education they believe that they are protecting the children against oppression Right. right the oppression of the past the oppression of the fathers, the oppression of the authoritarian teachers, the squelching of their independent creativity, and they're wrong. They're completely flat wrong, but there is a certain, uh, a certain piety, a uh, certain righteousness. Yeah, that's it. In, in what they believe. And again, you want to turn to them and say, you you. You have been in charge mm-hmm. of the public school system for decades, mm-hmm. the progressive outlook. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. How are those reading scores? Well, that's along? the point. See, how you doing is different from the question, how are those reading scores? I don't think reading scores is the important thing to the modern education or, uh, educationalists. I don't think it is. I think how you doing has something more to do with um, – what uh, the head of the teachers union in L.A. said during COVID, who cares if they don't know their times tables, she said, we're teaching them new things like what an insurrection is. I don't know that reading sco- reading ability is their most important goal. Well, you know, here, here's what we get down to. Beth. Do you want to enable these young kids to be able to comprehend moments? <laughs> Like when Macbeth hears of Lady Macbeth's right. death, right. or when Dante uh, finds himself, the, uh, you know, you know it, it in hell, encountering all the tortured souls. When when Milton portrays Satan in Eden, spying mm-hmm. on Eve and amazed at her purity and innocence. Do you do you want to have the Invisible Man? Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man there in the basement with all those light bulbs uh, uh, shining. So do, do you want the kids to have that experience? Do you want them to be able to look at a great painting and actually experience it? Or do you want to have their minds, their sensibilities so ground down into just the, 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 the cheap, the vulgar youth culture, the meretriciousness, the commercialism, of it all, what, what do you do, do? You want to have them have the capacity to recognize beauty and sublimity, to hear the cadences in Lincoln's second inaugural. What, what do you what do you want these kids to be able to understand as adults? This is the question. I think you've just said that beautifully. And anyone who would see a movie like Dead Poets Society or something like that would immediately understand that point of education. Let me try it this way, Mark. Um, I was I, – I don't know if you know who Daniel Buck is. He's a former teacher in Wisconsin, and he wrote about 
the graduate master's degree education program there, and he surveyed a bunch of them because he thought his was an outlier. He found they were traditional. This also in the Wall Street Journal. He said, in our master's degree at education, which is, of course, where you get your teacher certificate, we made Black Lives Matter friendship bracelets. We passed around a popsicle stick to designate whose turn it was to talk. Uh, We read poems through the lens of Marxism and preparations for our students doing the same. And our final projects were acrostic poems or ironic rap videos. I mean, we're teaching. Okay, so I want what you said. (laughs) Our education schools ain't doing it. Uh, I I just edited a a Daniel's piece for. Oh, okay. You know exactly who. Okay, good, good. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of guts. Yeah, he's a teacher, right, right there on the barricades, and he stands up for more traditional forms of schooling. But you know, it it it, it'll cause problems for him. He he, I, I don't see him. Probably don't see him lasting in, in in the regular in the regular system because he 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 understands yeah just that this is, this is bad education this is is this going to help kids when they go into uh, a college comp writing class and they're assigned a Supreme Court decision which is which can be to, to read and 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 analyze that's kind of hard mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. and if this is what you've been spending your time with. Uh, you know, popsicle sticks yeah. and Black Lives Matter, you're not going to be able to do it. You're setting these kids up for failure. And when we look at uh, rates of college completion mm-hmm. for the disadvantaged kids, we've got a problem. The yeah. kids are going into college and they're not lasting more than a year or, or two. And a lot of times it's because they can't handle the difficulty of the reading. So this is one this is one reason why, you know, the, the black white test score gap closed a lot mm-hmm. in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Started slowing down in the last twenty, twenty five years it hasn't budged. Right. It's still huge and it hasn't moved. So your curriculum, your pedagogy it's not working. It's not working for the very kids that you proclaim to support. Are you finding, Professor, are you finding that the work of rudimentary education, you, you were in literature, right? That was your expertise, English language literature stuff, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. If, uh, if memory serves. Were you finding in at the professorial level, post-secondary education level, that you had to do more and more rudimentary work each and every year. Absolutely. Okay. And 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 I was at a I, I retired a couple of years ago. But you were at a, a top university, Emory University. Yeah. Very wealthy university. Yeah. It's always in the top twenty yeah. in the U.S. News and World Report rankings. And what I find was again the kids they were just as smart. Yeah. Okay, and they were just as competitive. But they but they weren't bookish. They were less and less experienced with the written word their their writing was getting more and more formulaic and and clunky and and clotted because they were simply spending less and less time reading books and getting good writing yeah. instruction in their high school sometimes you get a kid fluent could write the paper and you know i can't really help you in this class all these other kids need need work yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah it is definitely 
definitely the literary skills have gone down. Let, let me pick up on that with, when we come right back, because I want to talk about what we're doing to youth in what we're exposing them to that leads to that problem. Professor Mark Bauer, excuse me, Professor Mark Bauerlein and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Professor Mark Bauerlein is our guest. B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N. The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults is his most recent book. And we're talking about his piece in the Wall Street Journal. Professor, um, all the rage right now, if you tune into NPR or CNN or most, most any television network or cable show that discusses education – it's about this right-wing effort, as they put it, to ban books in our, in, in, our, in our elementary and secondary schools, primarily elementary. And it dawns on me, you know, this, this is an interesting use of the word ban, first of all. But when you listen to what you're writing or what I'm talking about with the excision of your Shakespeare's or um, your Robert Frost's or, you know, uh, your Mark Twain's, Who's really banning what here? And what are we training these kids by wanting them to read Lawn Boy as opposed to, say, I don't know, one of the Brontes? Uh, you know, one has to laugh to hear liberal journalists and intellectuals talk about banning books, given the fact that for 50 years, conservative ideas, traditionalist books, articles, and, and so on, have been steadily disappeared you know, they've been disappeared. I'm using that, that verb yeah. in, in that passive way. Right. They've been disappeared from the curriculum. They've been taken away from the syllabus. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're talking about this. When, when I started college in, in 1980, there were, there were a lot of conservative professors around. You could maybe see 25% of them were traditionalists. Maybe I, I will put it that way. They're gone. Yep. They're gone now. There's been a purge. And, and what, with that person has gone, the writers and thinkers who would be reinforcing the, the conservative traditionalist outlook on things. Give me a break, you guys. Come on. Now, the, the, but, but on the banning issue, the, the younger kids, look, you don't want to throw books at kids on delicate, difficult topics that they don't have the mental spiritual, emotional, intellectual equipment to handle yet. Sex stuff for eight years old only confuses and confounds and troubles them. They find they have, they're trying to adapt to something that they don't understand. Leave them alone. One of the things that we have seen exposed in the progressivist movement, this woke movement, is the sexualization of children farther and farther down the age ladder. I mean, I, I saw that, you know, you talk about Ron DeSantis and Disney. I saw this in Disney. Disney started doing this back in the 80s mm. when they started doing TV shows with 12-year-old girls who would dress like Madonna. Mm -hmm. and, and, and suddenly, well, what is all, all this? Again, the sexualization of 12, 13, 14 years old. Let these kids alone. Leave them alone. Let the parents uh, induct them into ideas and attitudes and sexuality and everything. What is it? Mm -hmm. With it, you heard Joe Biden the other day. Trans kids are our kids. They're not yours. What, what, They're not what, yours. What, yeah. What, yeah. I mean, do, do the schools believe these are our kids? 
<laughs> well, actually, they, the progressives you know, do. Yeah, they do. And, and because the progressives, the pro- look, progressives from Black Lives Matter founders all the way down back to Karl Marx, the family is a problematic right. institution right. to them because it's a resistance against the kind of social revolution. Right. It's like a little, a, a, a little, a little reprieve. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a redoubt right. that they can't penetrate, and they don't like that. And the schools are a way to penetrate into the family with these anti-family ideas. Yeah, if you want to see how that is, it's kind of a parent's patriot. It's more than in loco parentis. It's it's kids growing up in Cuba who who would call their their de- Fidel was their father or 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 Mao That's was right. their Uncle father. Joe. Right. Yeah, it, or or Stalin, absolutely right. As opposed to their actual biological father, we can see that trend, which is why, by the way, in the Black Lives Matter education curriculum, one of the goals was the disruption of the traditional Western family. Well, those of us familiar with Karl Karl Marx know exactly where that came from. And as you point out, uh, the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement said that they were committed and trained Marxists. Can I do one more segment with you? Because I want to talk about the adults now for a moment. We've spent some time on the children, which has been half half your expertise here. Let me go to the other, because what happens when they grow up? Um, The trigger warning thing. (laughs) We used to organize society to protect kids' minds. Well, we've blown that up. You're right, Professor. We don't care about age appropriate anymore. We want to introduce more and more adult themes to them. But now we have created... Um, shall we say, children in adults' bodies, I think. Uh, we have infantilized adults in a way that uh, I'd like to pick up with you on the other side of this break, which is the result of this kind of pedagogy. Mark Bauerlein and I will be right back. Professor Mark Bauerlein is uh, our guest. He has a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on uh, the importance of uh, memorization at the elementary and secondary levels. He is also the author, most recently, of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Let's focus on the adults for a second, Professor. Um, How shall I do this? Okay, in the previous segment, you were talking about how we used to gear education, psychology, sociology, the socialization of children with age-appropriate themes and understanding um, under, understanding the emotional levels of maturity at various ages, which we seem to have taken a daisy cut or two. And now you have, I mean, someone like Fred Rogers, PBS, interestingly enough, was, you know, a champion of this kind of thinking. And now I see Donald Trump gives a speech Tuesday night, a political speech. It's a political speech. And on PBS, I don't know if you saw this story, they had a trigger warning at the Chiron at the lower, you know, at the lower crawl (laughs) throughout. The trigger warning said, quote, experts warn that inflammatory rhetoric from elected officials or people in power can prompt individual actors to commit acts of violence. It rotated with another one, doctor. The other one was violent rhetoric has escalated in online forums and militia groups since Trump's federal indictment. That was what was rolling under his speech. We, we have reached the point where we, we, we need trigger warnings for adults for a political message. I mean, I think it's, it's a content-based violation, if not viewpoint as well. But the idea that we need to put a trigger warning on a political speech from a Republican on public broadcasting, what, have we, what, what kind of adults uh, have we created here? Well, the first question I would ask is, does PBS do that kind of trigger warning when Joe Biden talks about white supremacy? Or for, no, they don't. Uh, That's exactly white right. White nationalism right. And, 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 right. and the rest. Right. 
Uh, of course, of not. course not. Of course not. But you know, Seth, the 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 childishness of so many adults today. Yeah, the the fragility uh, of them. Their 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 reactive nature. Part of this stuff is, you know, mothers. Many mothers are not very good at turning their boys into adult men. That's more the father's job. The mother is maternal. She's a caretaker. She's a nurturer. And that, 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 that's, a, that's the role she has from, from birth. And the father kind of takes over when, when, that, when that boy needs some strength, some firmness, some discipline, and to show him how to, how to grow up, how to stop being a boy. And it's not an easy transition. Well, Seth, how many boys grow up with no fathers around? Right. Their mothers trying to do that, right. and the mother's mother. And it doesn't work for 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds. They, they don't get that. There's sort of a certain, a certain shell that they develop in dealing with the world, a, a tougher skin, a thicker skin mm-hmm. on things. And so we, we have a kind of maternalization of, of our society, not just a feminization, but a maternalization, which does things like lay out trigger warnings for, for when Donald Trump speaks. Now, the, the problem is that when you coddle like this, you are actually manufacturing a personality mm-hmm. here. You are prompting overreactions, a hyper-emotionalism. You are encouraging that. You're, you're, you're telling them you should be triggered. Triggering is, a, triggering is a warranted reaction to think. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to say, no, no, walk away. It's a free society. We have the First Amendment. That means you can't get offended all the time. You got to live with it. That's the cost of an open society. Well, we know what's happened. Right. Yes, we're we're in the illiberal woke regime now, in which the First Amendment doesn't obtain anymore. Certain positions that were held by most everybody, are not only a few years ago, are now so abominable, so abhorrent. So appalling that that person needs to be expelled from the arena. Mm-hmm. Not the idea contended with, but that human being needs to be removed. This is the nature of, of, of so much of our of our discourse now, and a lot of and this is this is ninety nine percent left wing produced. They've created this emotional atmosphere. And believe me, where, where I'm a trustee at New College, you, you see it at every board meeting. Oh, yeah. Okay? The, the reaction of people to the presentation of a position, it's all visceral for them. And they, you, you want to say to them, you have gotten a poor formation here. Mm-hmm. Someone has not done. You've been cheated yeah. of a happy adulthood. Yeah. In, 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 in not being able to let things slide off of you. Show some composure here. Anyway. No, that's right. I, they've been cheated by two things. Uh, maturity, psychological maturity uh, on, on the second half of our interview. 
and experience and exposure to the greatest uh, traditions of intellect from the first part of our interview. And I, and I do think this trigger warning business when it comes to slathering it around Donald Trump as PBS did, it's, it's actually creating a certain – it, well, it's it's creating a traumatic ideation. I mean, if you aren't triggered by that, you look at that and you say, "Well, maybe I should be." It's almost it's almost trigger warning ideation. I, I need to be triggered right. by it, right? There's there's an encouragement to this once important notion that was to you know help people with PTSD, and we're now giving them PTSD. I think uh, the, the, we we're giving and we're telling them to go with it. Right. And here's the thing, Seth: a lot of people who are triggered by what Donald Trump says actually have other problems. Yeah, well, of course. Donald Trump yes. then becomes yes. an occasion yes. for them to exercise their anxiety, their hysteria, their trauma yeah. over other things that have happened yeah. to them. These may be damaged human beings. And I feel sorry for the damages that have been done to you, maybe when you were at a, at a tender age. But now these other situations become pretexts for them to rehearse their pain. I said, this is not the place. This is not the way. And you know what? It's not going to make you feel better. Right. You'll feel better at this moment, but an hour from now, you're not going to feel better. Is that professor, I'm trying to think, University of Pennsylvania, the triumph of the therapeutic many years ago, something like Philip Reef. That's it, Philip Reef. Yes, I th- isn't that where we're coming to? Uh, the yes, we have. Well, yes, we can't hear a political message without needing calling in the psychiatrists. I suppose. Well, it's, it's college. College is ever more being turned into a therapeutic yes, atmosphere. Of course. When you've got a when you've got a a, a, a room full of puppies right. created in the library during finals week so that students can go in and play with the puppies yeah. to help deal with the stress with their final exams. Now, the thing is, that when I was in college, any guy who would go to that room for that would be laughed at. Absolutely. By you you yeah. would be fully embarrassed yeah. Yeah. To, go, yeah. to go in there and, and, and I'm, so, I'm so delicate. Yeah. I'm so weak that this is what I, what I need to do. But now, no, no. It's all good. Practically Again, a right of passage. This is a yeah. maternalization yeah. of of the of the climate. And again, what does maternalization do? It creates thirty year old boys. I That's want to, um, yeah, if not 30-year-old boys, uh, 30-year-old women who used to be boys. Maybe we talk about that sometime too. <laughs> okay. Professor Mark Bauerlein, I love talking to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Seth. God bless. And thinking about the economy, when you look at the recession on the horizon or the inflation or the stock market's volatility or the bank failures, and you ask yourself, where can I and how can I invest? Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this collateralized and secure portfolio from Y-Refi, which is based here locally. You can visit them. They encourage you to do so. Their offices are on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there, and you won't be asked to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. And when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you will too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. 
the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. We can go through all these you know, avant-garde innovations in education. But the truth of the matter is education and its excellence and how to achieve and obtain that excellence can't be improved on from what we knew even 40 years ago. Most children at some time memorize multiplication tables, the correct spelling of words, historical dates, passages of literature, such as the poetry of Robert Frost or the sonnets of Shakespeare. Memorization simplifies the process of recalling information and allows its use to become automatic. Understanding and critical thought can then build on this base of knowledge and fact. Indeed, the more sophisticated mental operations of analysis and synthesis and evaluation are really quite impossible without accurate recall, rapid accurate recall of bodies of specific knowledge. And we're ripping that away from our kids in these innovations and this new model and view of education. But it really does come down to what you view the import of education to be. If you think it's about learning how to read and speak and being literate, and if that's what you want in a society. Well, Mark Bauerlein and I were just explaining the way you get that. If you don't, as Mark Bauerlein was lamenting, how's how's it been working out for you on those NAEP scores and results, reading and math scores? How's the gap, achievement gap going between minority populations and and the dominant or the more majoritarian white population? It's been going up or down. That's certainly one view and concern about education. Our fear is that it is not the main concern of education schools. Theirs is, as uh, good Marxists and readers of Paul Ferrer, is to indoctrinate students. That's the important thing. It's not that they think well. It's that they think right or rightly. And to think right or rightly is to think politically. And you rip away a Western culture to do that, and you instantiate this new thing, and you lose this country as you do it. Until tomorrow, thank you all. God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.